Welcome to Contemporary Cage, an expert and informed look at the latter half of actor Nicolas Cage's filmography. On today's episode, we watched Kill Chain. D-Man. Hey. D-Money. Um, How are we doing, my friend? Getting, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this one. I have a lot to say. This is, this is going to be an interesting one. I'm, 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 I'm curious about your thoughts. I also want to say, <clears throat> perhaps I was a little too short last week when we were talking about, um, New Year's resolutions. Um, Too short. Uh, blow the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Did you get a new resolution? Well, I just thought um, I should make time to watch more movies in general, which kind of has to do with this oh. because okay, I watch so much Netflix and, and streaming, and it's so hard to like commit to a movie that I end up not doing it. But like, obviously, I think about movies like a lot and. It was a big part of my life in school and in and, and my early working. So um, I just watched Joker, which was good. And I'm watching 1917 this weekend, doing all the Oscar stuff. So that's part of my resolution. And, and Nick Cage movies, I guess, fall in the umbrella of movies. So they will be adding to, to this resolution. Very cool. Yeah, uh, I love that resolution. I also feel sometimes like... I'm not staying like, you know, there's so many good movies. uh, And of course, there's the bigger ones that get the award show recognition. And then there's stuff that you sort of have to pay a little more attention to and go out of your way to find. Um, I feel like I forget what year the movie pass year was. It might have been 2017. Mm -hmm. That year, like I truly the best film year of my life. I think I, I probably saw like 20 30 movies in theaters that year i like saw so many things um and then ever since then ever since movie pass i I think it still might exist in some incarnation but it was all fucked up and bad yeah (laughs) everyone hated it and got got very mad yeah that got a little weird it was clearly uh just a wildly unsustainable business model but (laughs) for the short time where you could just go and see uh as many movies as you wanted for nine dollars a month um that was beautiful but yeah so uh, i think that's an admirable admirable goal i think uh i i wanna i'll come with you maybe we should and i think that's also you know every once in a while we need a little treat, right? We're, we watch a lot of movies that might not be so fun, and we gotta we gotta watch the good ones too. These haven't the this season two hasn't been too bad. I mean, we got to start with Mandy. Yeah. Uh, Primal was a bit of a chore for sure, uh-huh. but this one, and we'll get into it later. At least wasn't like painfully. Although we might have different opinions here. Yeah, I uh, without giving away too much. I didn't. I didn't feel this is definitely not like as bad as it gets uh for me but um uh, really quick did you have a did you have a favorite movie that you saw from this past year that you want to or you're i know you just said that you're still making your way through i my, i'm kind of starting really i I, yeah. I didn't watch much movies this this year honestly okay well, that's why it's the resolution i i had like i thought this was an interesting year for movies because 
Well, like I was saying, I think that the stuff at the very, very, like, top, like, there's three movies that I, like, loved this year. I really liked Parasite, mm-hmm. I liked uh, The Lighthouse, and I liked Uncut Gems. Those are, like, th- three great. And then everything else, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of other stuff that I enjoyed, but those were, like, great. Uh, there was, but sort of that, like, middle, uh, this was more of, like, a middling year for me. There weren't, like, a, a huge slate of movies that I loved. But those three, uh, I think, were all fantastic. Those are on my radar, and uh, yeah. especially Lighthouse just looks ridiculous. The Lighthouse r- is ridiculous. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, I, I was just telling um, uh, a couple friends a story. I went and saw that, like, opening weekend with my dad. He was visiting me down uh it, down down south um and uh we we went to an arc light screening and it was like very much like a hip young audience and <laughs> i think that a lot of the marketing material for that movie kind of in a fun way misleads you about what that movie is it's actually like very very funny there's like a mm-hmm. lot of very funny comedic beats and so like with I, th- I don't think this is a spoiler, but in like the first five minutes, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe's characters are kind of getting to know each other, and Willem Dafoe is just like farting incessantly. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of like you could tell that the audience like wasn't sure because they're like, oh, I thought this was gonna be like this sort of somber tone yeah, poem, like psychological <laughs> my, horror. My dad was just immediately just like howling with <laughs> in this like audience of a bunch of like very hip just, film nerds. Just turned into blazing saddles immediately for him. It was it was really uh, a fun experience, but yeah, I loved the lighthouse. I think it's fucking awesome. Looking forward to it. Um, but enough of this freaking chit chat. Well, we, you know, uh, this isn't just a general film discussion podcast. We have a, a laser focus. And that's why it's time for Cage Facts. Oh! What are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table? There ain't no iguana. Yeah, there are. There ain't no iguana. What the fuck is that? Fucking iguana. Well, my best. Oof. My, I'm the best at this. Am I? Uh, yeah, I hope that you're. Am I doing in fight and shape? Season two, at least. I. No, I will. Yeah, perfect I think record. You got it. Right, yeah, I think you got it right. The last time I was sort of uh, focused on specifically new new movies in production, and mm. I think you got that one. You nailed that one. Mm-hmm. So you're you're batting uh you're batting whatever good batters bat. I don't know. I think it's Mister Three Thousand. <laughs> yes, you are batting uh, <laughs> Bernie Mac and Mister Three Thousand. Um, okay, here we go. Okay, Nicholas Cage on uh, in. 2014 for the first time was made a grandpa pappy cage that's our first fact oh 2014 he was made a grandpa Uh uh-huh man i feel terrible i don't know anything about his kids or if they exist oh i call myself a cage expert Yep, we'll we'll figure this out. There was something. I mean, some of this stuff surprises me when I'm doing the research. I'm like, how did I never not know that? As a result um, of uh, his many works shooting films in the United Kingdom in 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 Great Britain, mm-hmm. uh, Nicholas Cage is one of the handful of American actors that has been knighted. So, Sir Nicholas Cage. That's our second fact. And our third fact 
is Nicolas Cage in um, preparing for a role where he plays a, uh, a soldier in the film Birdie removed two of his own teeth to, to better prepare himself to convey pain. Okay. okay those are three so. He's a grandpa, he's a knight, or and he removed two of his teeth. Okay, so first of all, in case people don't know, one of them is fake, right? And I have to find the fake one. Yeah, sorry. If you're just joining us in season two, this game is essentially two truths and a lie. Mm -hmm. Two of these facts are authentic cage facts. One of them is a lie. Derek has to suss out the lie. I usually play a lot of metagame, and I'm going to again. Um, Good. I think the third one is true about the teeth because you were so genuinely tickled that it happened, <laughs> that it has to have existed, like, because <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, and then I will say, as I alluded to earlier, I watch Netflix, right? Um, and mm -hmm. I've been diving deep into The Crown Ooh. Um, about Queen Elizabeth II, learning a lot about the fog. and It's a great show, beautiful lighting. Totally recommend. I'm still in the first season. No spoilers, please. But based off of the dramatization of this woman... If it's at all accurate, I cannot imagine her ever knighting Nicolas Cage. So I'm going to say that's the lie. <laughs> okay, Derek, are you ready for the reveal? So that would mean that Nick is a grandpappy and then he mm -hmm. removed two of his teeth. Uh, Derek, you are continuing your hot streak. Yes! You're correct, my friend. Thank he is you, not Netflix. a knight. There is an active change.org petition <laughs> that has uh, 40 signatures on it to get him knighted. Oh, how and many does he need? It, it just said 40 out of 100, but I don't know if they would honor that. Well, like, 42 it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're uh, sorry, awesome, awesome your majesty. Over. He got 100. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he, he is a grandpa, which is very sweet to imagine. Yeah. Um, little yeah. grandpappy cage. Um, and then he removed, I don't know, like, I, I, that's so fucking crazy. He removed two of his teeth. Maybe they needed the to be, before. maybe, yeah, I just, that sounded fake as well. Maybe they needed to be removed, like, medically, and he did it himself, possibly. Oh, like... Uh, yeah, maybe. Like, because he knew they needed to come out, but he was preparing for this role, so he just said, you know, that's like a Ron from Parks and Rec. It's basically a Nicolas Cage copycat with his uh, tooth-pulling shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, <laughs> what is this movie? Okay. Birdie? I, I don't, it focuses on a friendship between two teenage boys, Birdie and Al Columbato. Uh, the story is presented in flashbacks. Okay, so it's not a... Oh, yeah, it is someone serving in the Vietnam War. Mm. The uh, poster for it <laughs> is insane. Uh, Nicolas Cage is on a bike screaming into the air, and above him is another boy flying with, like, sort of Wright Brothers-esque wings, like makeshift wings. So it's like... <laughs> like a bird? The beginning of the deer hunter plus the sandlot and E.T., yeah. and then it goes into the war. Oh, my God. What when was that is? made? Is that going to be an episode this or what? 1984. Oh, no. A long time ago. <laughs> Damn. My Lord. Okay, so he's not a knight. 
Not yet, at least. No, no um, servantless cage. But Derek, well done keeping that hot streak alive. I'm proud of you. Uh, coming into 2020 the right way. Nice. And uh, now that we closed out Cage Facts, it's time that we get into the meat of the episode. Mm. We're getting into the review. This mm-hmm. week, we mm-hmm. watched a movie. The movie was Kill Chain, 2019 film directed by Ken Sanzel. Uh, a brief synopsis. A hotel room shootout between two assassins kicks off a long night of bodies falling like dominoes. As we follow a chain of crooked cops, gangsters, hitmen, a femme fatale, an ex-mercenary through a confluence of murder, betrayal, revenge, and redemption. Immediately, that's not even that accurate. Because it doesn't, like, kick off. That's not what... It, it's like, oh, the movie jumps back and forth. It, like, the movie starts, uh, like, with Nick, you know, uh, sort of, like, setting the stage, and then it jumps back into time, and we see this, like, long chain of events that has led him to this moment. But Kill um, chain of events. Kill chain of events, yes. A very there literal There is a bit of a conceit title. of, like, the, the camera and the story follows people as they end up dying and then moves on to the next person, the person who mm-hmm. killed them, and it's, yeah, like, that's kind of the conceit of the movie is it's like a chain of killing until we finally get to Nicolas Cage, who basically, I just want to say off the top, if anybody has read The Name of the Wind, which is a very um, uh, popular fantasy novel, which I have read and enjoyed a lot. Um, uh, right now, Lin-Manuel Miranda owns the rights to it, um, and he's mm. there's talks of... Um, a show and a movie. Um, and it's about like a young Hamilton himself. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's, it's, it's like magic, but the magic, uh, is done by a bard, a musician. So it's perfect for Lynn Manuel. Um, anyway, the whole, the whole first book is this, uh, swashbuggling debonair adventurer in a medieval world, is running an inn in a small sleepy town and he's trying to escape the life of adventure that he had and lay low as just like a barkeeper and an innkeeper and someone comes in and he recounts the story of his life that led him to this point and it's literally exactly the setup Whoa. of Nicolas Cage's character in this movie <laughs> Yeah, that is a, that is exactly uh, what happens. This is like a very, a very like noir inspired. These people like very much set out to make like a noir film. Uh, it's got a lot of those those elements and tropes and, uh, and and one of the cool things I'll just say this sort of like a broad statement before we get into some more specifics about the movie. Um, the 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 storytelling format of the movie the way that like the story is laid out and told it does create it has this sense of a cohesive through line through the plot but because like you were saying uh you are following a kill chain of these different people uh that that have like some diamonds that's that's sort of the, the thing at first that is creating the kill chain people passing off these diamonds from one another people getting these diamonds stolen from them um 
uh, it, like it, it creates like this opportunity to have these like almost vignettes, these little crime fiction vignettes of mm-hmm. like, oh, how did this go wrong? How did these, the, well, let's set up these characters quickly and then resolve that. And um, some of them like are, 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 are fun. I, I was a little bored by this movie. This movie in some ways felt like a little like film school, like a good film school final project in certain ways or or not like not like a great film school final project but like a solid one where it's like okay this is decently written this is like hitting all of the check boxes uh that your film instructor kind of uh like had taught you over the course of your time so as somebody who went to film school uh making movies is very hard especially with this kind of budget and it's funny you should say that because it is like it feels like a film school project that is like the best film school project anyone could have imagined. Yeah. But it okay. still is there's okay, so there's yes. there are things that they do really right, but there are so many times when this movie shows its hand to be slightly inexperienced or like in its sophomore year. Um, 100%. And that's like, honestly, it's like you want to say film school, but film school is usually like a huge negative and that you know that this isn't professional. <laughs> right. This is like a professionally made film. It's like this is exactly what film school teachers are trying to like express the way that some of these scenes are done. It's like they're done correctly, but they're yeah, just not 100%. They're just not seasoned and they're not there's just something missing about it that makes it still feel like these are young like filmmakers. A hundred percent. Yeah, it feels like it's very, very technically sound and not even like technically sound for like what a like solid film is that you would traditionally see in theaters. But specifically, I'm, I'm glad that you're with me there, but like specifically, this feels like how to do a movie, like how you are taught to do a movie uh where it's like, oh, there's adult themes and stuff, but also it's so safe. Like, it feels so incredibly safe. Like, there's not real, real like, risks taken with, uh, like, character directions. And, you know, there's, there's not, in, in that, like, manifests both in, like, performance. It manifests in, like, the types of uh, action scenes that are set up. It manifests in, like, the actual story and structure of the story. That being um, said, there are moments that... Um subverted expectations and there are moments that were interesting that could have been done so much worse um so yeah so like carrying on with uh the like film school analogy if i had like a friend who was graduating film school and they were involved with this i'd be like that was fucking great oh man man. like that was exactly (laughs) if it really was film school like it would be like the highest level you could possibly get to as a film student is making that movie for sure. But as a guy who's just like watching this movie, I was kind of like, oh yeah, okay. Um, this is... But I, I do want to hear the elements <laughs> that sort of su- surprised you. So, I, uh, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of, that's kind of the cardinal sin with creative stuff, right? Like it's easy to be impressed or interested in something that somebody, you know, did or somebody, like yourself or like something like that where you have a connection, but to be completely Mm -hmm. objective and not give a shit about who made it and just determine whether it's worth your time are two totally different headspaces. Yeah. And you have to be in 
the I don't give a shit determine if it's worth my time headspace whenever you're thinking about creative stuff in general. And that is such a hard like obstacle to surpass. Totally. Because we're going to kind of shit on this movie a little bit. Um, even though it's as good as you could possibly get as a film student. Very sound. Um, film. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad. Like film student. It's like, I'm, it's like, I'm, it's offensive to film students and it's offensive to the people who made this movie. <laughs> so, one of the movie's biggest strengths is also it's one of its weaknesses, which is the visual language that they establish throughout the movie. Um, basically, like, uh, you know when you're watching a Tarantino or you know when you're watching a Scorsese because of the visual language, like the way that they cover scenes, the pacing of it, um, just the techniques that they use. Uh, it's a little bit more than just being generic. Um, and it has like intent and they do have that in this movie. Um, there are scenes with insane amount of coverage, which is something, um, for like very small settings and situations, which is something that Hitchcock did like with psycho. Um, she's just a woman in a shower yet. He gets like 16 different angles to just splice around as she's getting stabbed. Um, this is like really fits in well, uh, during a scene where uh, two dirty cops are pulling in this criminal and the criminal is trying to um, bribe them with the money he has to let him go for one of the cops to betray the other. So it's this really tense scene all taking place in a small little cop car. But there are so much coverage in that car and there's so much cutting and it it gets really tense. And one of the moments mm -hmm. that subverts my expectations is how that exchange ends up where um, one of the cops seemingly anxious about the other cop potentially thinking about turning on him just in the middle of a sentence shoots the criminal in the head. And with how well it was paced and how much editing coverage there was, it really kind of threw me off and I thought it was a genuinely good payoff in a tense moment. For sure. However, this visual language is something that they found and liked and got good at, and they did it for every fucking scene in the movie. There is no right. pacing. There is no. There are moments in which it would pay off so much for them to let off the gas and actually create contrast with a shot that isn't fucking handheld because every single shot in this movie is handheld, which is terrible. Like it's great for a lot of the coverage that they do and it's really intense, but if every shot is handheld, there's no like contrast to it. So like there's moments of reflection after big action sequences that if they would just put the damn camera on sticks or just slowly let it breathe with a dolly, it would create such a good contrast to these scenes that they've created with this visual language. But it, it just like, it doesn't fit. Like there are a lot of scenes with Nicolas Cage in particular where he's having a conversation with a femme fatale. And I get that you want it to be sexy and mysterious and interesting, but every time they talk, watch those scenes, there is like seven different shots of coverage of each one of them, of two people standing in a room, like a close-up, an extreme close-up, a wide, a Dutch angle wide. It's mm -hmm. like they use it too much and there's no restraint and there's no finesse. And it that 
to me shows that you are not an experienced filmmaker and you're too excited by a thing that you've done well. And uh, I think it, the movie suffers for it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and the the thing, the example of like when it's working well is also the moment. I, I think it's like the the best sequence in the movie mm-hmm. is is when these two crooked cops pick up the, this uh, this criminal who who had just stolen. He had the diamonds. Yeah, right? He he was the first okay. one to get the diamonds, which was payment yes. for like a sniping job. Right. So yeah, he had started this uh, this chain. And uh, yeah, exactly. The, those the amount of coverage really like leads into this like chaotic, tense um, uh, feeling of the, of that scene where he is he is like you were saying he's this uh, guy that they just picked up and they they have captive is trying to um, like sell one of the others. He's he's basically promising them that he's going to be able to pay off uh, even more so than what they're going to get just from uh, capturing him. Um, and the way that they're like cycling through those different angles, you can feel like their alliance dissolving. You can mm-hmm. feel him slowly like uh, gaining favor with one of them over the other. Mm-hmm. You can feel one of them becoming like more unhinged, and all of that's happening in real time uh, to the point where it like explodes, like everything goes crazy. Um, and then and then there's actually like a kind of a neat moment. Uh, they they end up getting into a shootout that is like well like constructed and choreographed. It doesn't mm-hmm. just feel like bang bang bang. They're essentially uh, one of the police officers is like sitting or uh, I don't know what if they're an officer, but they're the law enforcement is uh, in the back like sort of the cage area of the car with um, the the now deceased like person that they have captive, and he's he's sort of stuck back there. Uh, they're getting into a shootout like through the wiring of that like cage that he's stuck in, um, but then like the uh, w- the other guy who's who's driving the car um, ends up leaving the car while they're like continuing to be in a shootout, uh, and it like resolves by him sort of like trying to best him like go around like opening the doors on either side like tricking him to think what angle he's gonna like come in through but it it creates this like really tense quiet moment which is really nice uh that ends up like having kind of like a twisty surprise yeah it's a lot uh, of how it gets resolved it's a lot of mind games that these two are playing Mm -hmm. with each other and you know it might not be completely realistic but i totally bought it it's almost like that um the way they use dead bodies as cover it's got that like i i mentioned them before but like kind of tarantino or scorsese where you kind of believe mm-hmm. this is how it would actually go down it's not right. as glamorous or explosiony and it's more like outwitting and mind gaming your opponent like a severe sense of desperation and yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um, and it's it's interesting too because like that as an action scene that feels kind of like puzzly and like mentally engaging like compared to some of the other action sequences in in the movie there there's a, a sequence that follows pretty soon after this where they're just sort of in this abandoned warehouse and there's blues and there's reds there's lights uh like flooding in and it looks it looks like this like a filmmaker saw john wick and was like oh i want to like recreate the tunnel scene from john wick 2 or something like that but uh, of course like you don't have the, the the performers or the fight choreographers or like the amount of money to make john wick look like john wick so mm-hmm. as soon as they remove 
that sort of um, that that more thoughtful like true crime puzzle like creating uh, element in the action sequences it really like kind of doles it for me like none of the other like action sequences in the movie kind of lived up to that 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 one sequence that one little vignette. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I think the scene you're describing where they're just in a a warehouse, like an unmarked warehouse, and it's just like the idea of threat. A lot of the threat in that scene is like uh, noises coming from off camera about mm-hmm. like, you know, cops coming and stuff. That is one of the most weaker parts. Um, there's actually a really good example of the kind of um, filmmaking that I thought was really kind of immature is when uh at the end of that scene the femme fatale is in league with these these criminals um also just so just so like it's clear the, the in the movie like the her name is the, like the woman in red that's what she like shows up for on the cast list it's not like we're yeah. like oh, the femme fatale the, the girl rod. Uh, but yeah, they don't care to give her a name. Pretty uh, much none of the yeah, characters sorry, are on. necessarily super interesting enough to care about their names, regardless of their gender yeah. in this movie. Uh, I but, think that's part of like the leaning into the noir aspect of this. They want to have these mm, more like archetypal characters mm-hmm. versus like specific named characters. But at the end of that scene, uh, right after the the cop gunfight, when that's like that John Wick diet john wick sequence that you're talking about um (laughs) she runs down a long dark hallway and she gets away and the camera is is like (laughs) it goes to dutch and then as she's running away the scene goes on for a while and then it dutches to the other angle like it rotates right it's and it's so fun and there's also like there's uh there's the sub- captions yeah. it, there's people speaking in spanish and there's uh there's subtitles. subtitles that pop up and then they like sort of fly down the hallway after yeah and they like, kind of like star wars right. credits roll down the hallway after and it's like yeah that stuff's creative but like that shows me that the dp or whoever shot that didn't have a firm idea of how he wanted that hallway shot to go and the cam op took the opportunity to kind of just freestyle like jazz which is like great for live event videography or or music videos or something but not when you have like a storyboarded story that you're telling through film like that was so even um i watched this with my fiance and like she's not really big into like um movies or or dissecting them much and you know she she definitely felt like one of the only times she had to say something was that part she's like was that weird like was that really (laughs) weird (laughs) that made me uh that moment made me laugh out loud i thought it was very goofy (laughs) it was and and then like that being combined because it was two sort of like uh like visual choices that don't really show up elsewhere in the movie it's not like a part of an established like visual language of the film so like the subtitles flying down the hallway the double dutch (laughs) angle it was just like what what i guess we're like that is exactly the example of me being like this feels like a movie that someone in film school makes where it's like it, it, you, it it is absolutely the type of decision that someone just sort of instinctually like gut makes in mm-hmm. in the moment like you were deci- you were uh, but if you were like to challenge them on that it, like the only response is i don't know like i thought it would be cool and it's well, like, well it wasn't. it's like it sometimes it feels like they they figured out this coverage and they just shot every scene like that and they thought you know i could be off base here but they could have thought maybe we'll 
edit it in different ways, but we'll have all these right. choices. But it ends up being kind of same because there are a lot of Dutch angles in that movie. And like, yeah, I'm, I don't, I think they're kind of cheesy, but I don't mind using a Dutch angle or seeing a Dutch angle if there's like real intent, like this is the shot or this is the moment that needs to be in Dutch because it's a bold creative choice to shoot something in yeah. Dutch. And like just to have it as coverage to cut to whenever is totally flat for, for that kind of shot. Um, for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about our main man, Nikki. Okay. He's not hyper present in this movie. That We've seen movies where he's more absent, but like we said earlier, he kind of... Um, you know, Princess Bride style will like sets up the story. I, I don't know if that's like a perfect analogy, but he like kind of sets up the story and then it, it kicks off and you go back in time. Uh, and for, I think, I don't, I don't think he, sh- he shows up in the first like five, 10 minutes and then he doesn't show up again until I think it was minute 38 when I, cause I was like, oh, he's back. Like, <laughs> let me check the, the timestamp. Uh, and it feels Nikki's, like the third act basically. So when he gets introduced, <laughs> it really again. does. Yeah, and so Nikki is. Uh, this is def- we've talked a little bit about how sometimes his look. He's clinging to youth a little more. He has a very dyed beard in this movie and mm. hair. Uh, a very yeah. very dark, uh, well kept, like well well groomed beard, um, but very like obviously dyed. Especially after seeing that picture where he's letting those natural grays come in, it's like, oh boy. Yeah. At least it's not like shoe polish black or anything. N- no, yeah, it's a little more of a natural color. Um, it's it's Yeah, you're right. It's not quite as jarring as it's been. I feel like whoever was in charge of uh, makeup and hair was, steered him okay, as like as good as you can look that, being Nick Cage it's, with an obvious. It's another. Beard. It's another example of like nothing in the movie is like egregiously bad. Like right. these filmmakers did a better job in so many respects than a lot of movies that we've watched. But like, um, before we, I have to mention this before we get because I want to talk about Cage's role because I thought it was really good casting. But I just have to say like, when you see him in the beginning, first of all, yeah. The thumbnail of this movie is a giant picture of Nicolas Cage, and that's it. Yes. So, again... Him uh, holding a tire iron. <laughs> which doesn't even... has Nothing like that I happens. I there is one in the movie. There is one in the van. It doesn't matter. It's very minimal. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> that's another example of, like, sophomore filmmaking. Is that, like, kind of a bait and switch. But also, you see him in the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then, there is a title sequence... That is trying oh, right. to be Bond, I guess, but it looks like a low-budget TV series yeah. title intro, and it's 90% Nicolas Cage in that intro, him like mm-hmm. shooting and ducking for cover and in action poses, which is so bizarre. It's so weird, and it's so early in the movie. It's really strange. Uh, yeah, and, and, and just kind of like promises something that the movie doesn't really end up being. It very much is like you're getting a Nicolas Cage action flick, and then it's very much not that. And it's terrible music, and I got to say... Uh, that music is really bad. All of the music in the movie is really bad if you go back. It's really bad. It's like I'm, I'm currently... Uh, working at a company that does like marketing videography and we have like a library of music and we pay monthly and it's it's good produced music but it's good for like a marketing video and that's what 
all of the music in this movie seems like like some of the music is just like really repetitive playing the same riff over and over on just Mm -hmm. like they did not hire a good composer they did not put their money they made a run out of money but like the music is so generic and bad in this movie so anyway now that we're finally moved on to Nicolas Cage I thought the the casting was actually really good and I don't know if you'll take offense to this David but the way he was dressed and the way he does his hair and stuff, I thought it was you, dude. Like your style in like thirty years. Whoa. Yeah. Like I think this no, guy I think that's cool. dresses and kind of carries himself maybe the way you will in terms of style and clothing. <laughs> when I'm when I'm manning uh, a, a hotel in South America. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, I think he's he's definitely well dressed, but now that you've said that, because I didn't He's wearing a lot of dark colors, some like stylish jackets, some bombers, some button ups. Mm-hmm. Um, the glasses. Yeah. I don't the know glasses why. Glasses are cool. I don't know why that reminds me of you because you don't wear glasses, wow. but. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> but no, that's. Hey, thank you. <laughs> they. I, I think he's cast well. I will say that the, he, he has a de- like a decently cast and, and like the characters. What I'm trying to say is there's a. There's a romance in this movie that doesn't feel good, and I and I wanted to talk talk a little bit. the The femme fatale, the woman in red, uh, is an actress named um, Oh God, where are my notes? Um, uh, Annabelle Acosta. Uh, she's sort of she is maybe almost as much of the lead of this film as Nick is. Mm-hmm. Um, they have. They have a like a romantic scene that is so insane, and also has that same Dutch angle where you're getting a million different uh, angles of this uh, <laughs> conversation. Thing. It's I don't know if you noticed this, but almost every single time they either shot them so that one of their heads, backs of their heads, was to the camera, so you didn't see them kissing. Yeah, or they're pulling away or going in. It's for a kiss, super awkward. One shot of them <laughs> actually kissing, but this is like a minute and a half long ordeal of them sort of just moving in cut away moving out cut away like back i did of the notice head. that it and was I, really funny i couldn't put my finger on like what <laughs> is weird about this it's almost like uh, i have a memory lack of contact i have it's a memory so from middle school david and i went to the same middle school but we did we had to do square dancing i don't know if anybody needed <laughs> it and the thing about square dancing uh-huh. to a middle schooler which is really intense is the fact that <clears throat> all the boys line up and all the girls pick a boy to right. square dance. Sort of the partner. Sadie Hawkins style. Mm-hmm. But um, this is uh, kind of like an Eeyore story, but there was two more boys than girls. And this was a huge gym, like lots of kids, like maybe a hundred or more. And uh, me and one other kid didn't get picked oh, for no, square dancing. I don't think yeah, they knew this. and what they, you know, what they do when you don't get picked because you're the loser in middle school, they you have you. With him. N- n- no, they oh. they have you first come out to the middle so everybody can see you, and they go like, "Is there anybody else?" Like they want to make sure oh, that everybody who can have a partner does. Right. So they're just they're just pointing at you and saying like. <laughs> no one was in the bathroom like <laughs> there's no possible they're, they're like seriously like i know he's you know but 
is anybody like you have to pick somebody and then once they found out that yes truly there's just two more boys than girls i got to dance with ta and she was in eighth grade and i was in sixth grade and she was so hot to a sixth grader like she was fine and why i bring this up is because i was like oh this is a blessing in disguise this is so amazing but then when we went to square dance you have to like hold each other's hands and Mm -hmm. she said like don't you're not allowed to do that to me (laughs) so we danced with our hands like a centimeter apart and not actually touching this i kind of regret telling this story no this is very good (laughs) but that's what it looked like in this hot film noir sex scene with nick cage and this woman (laughs) that is such a heartbreaking story uh I yeah I we, we did go to the same middle school I wasn't there for sixth grade I came in seventh grade so I mm-hmm. missed this I could have very well been uh I would have danced with you Dave everybody loved you you were you were you looked like a palm tree in seventh grade <laughs> a big big head of curly hair and just um, super but yeah <laughs> that's uh that is an amazing analogy I just want to say I want to say for the record before you go ahead, I have a fiance now I'm very happy it's all good you know yep. it gets better middle schoolers Derek's hot now <laughs> Derek would never get picked last anymore I, I'm trying to look up the I guess it doesn't matter of course Hollywood has like an age problem and like a casting problem where kind of schlubby or past their prime leading men will continually be paired up with like incredibly attractive young uh mm, act- mm-hmm. actors um well that's a cage thing too that's a cage problem. it is a cage thing but this is the most extreme but also like the fact that you fe- you felt that you felt like this person being like i really don't wanna which is yeah. not a fun thing to watch ever uh, and it, yeah, it just felt like the, you know, like something in their contract was like, okay, they get like a single shot with, with where they're kissing and then that's it. And the rest is just like sort of, I will say, oh I will say a redeeming factor that I was actually like kind of taken aback and I don't know, I don't know if the word happy, but, uh, there's a line after the sex thing, like well after and they've kind the of sex thing. Yeah, they've kind of they've kind of put that away. And Nicolas Cage says something to the effect of um the line is I'm not delusional enough to think you find me irresistible. What's the deal? Like what do you want from me after their sex yeah. thing? Which I think is like a past contemporary cage kind of movie where he's not embracing the age. He wouldn't want to say that line or that might not be as appropriate where at least now we're getting like some self-awareness that he is much older and it's not normal for him to be the like swashbuckling hero who gets the girl, obviously like a national treasure too. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that's a really really good point, and it's interesting too because like hearing you say that, I was sort of like going through my memory. Like he will play like in um, in uh, what's the what's the Charlie Kaufman movie where he plays the twin brothers? Uh, adaptation. In mm-hmm. Adaptation, he plays like a, one of his versions is like it just it's so obviously like sweats. There's a scene where he's set up for a dinner date with a woman and he's like just profusely sweating, just like drenched in sweat. So uncomfortable. And it does feel like 
it's an interesting thing. I was like, oh, that's kind of an example. But even in that movie, he plays another version of himself that is like cool and like <laughs> good, <laughs> good with ladies, kind of. So yeah, like it, it, it is. I, I think it is probably a sign of some maturation. It, um, this self awareness makes me very excited for the movie where he plays himself in the future, coming out and the like young. Ver- what is that? Is there a name for that project? There is. Uh, let me pull it up really quick. But yeah, he's he's playing a version of himself. We've talked about it on and, and um, you know a little. I wasn't even going to bring this up in Cage News, but it, it totally is. Uh, it is news. Um, he is um, producing it as well. Wow. Yeah. So he's on. I don't think he was like even fully on last time, um, but now he this is. This is like. What is it called? This is the biggest thing in our podcast's history like this movie is a big deal i'm really excited this to movie, see this yeah. movie i'm really excited too um yeah i think that that we've i've said everything i need to say about this movie uh I yeah think we're we running kind of long i i i had a lot you i had a lot to say and one last thing i will say is uh if Get you want to see a movie as an example of like if you're interested in the nuances of camera work and filmmaking, this is an example of a movie where uh, people don't hit their rack focuses very well. Um, it's actually mm. a really, really hard thing to do is to like rack different objects with your focus on a manual camera. Uh, it's somebody's like job. That's all they do. And there's a lot of moments where they just don't quite hit it quick enough or they just don't ha- quite hit it well enough. It's almost as if they didn't have exactly the measurements of where they were going to rack to because it was a little bit more improvised, which again shows the kind of like unrefined filmmaking of this movie. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have picked up on that. I'm going to say this movie... This like sort of fits within the theme that we've noticed or or a trend uh, that we've noticed within Nick Cage's movies and like the volume of movies that he's making where it's like, okay, this is definitely like a lower budget. There's not a lot of big names attached to it. It's probably a straight to VOD um, Mm -hmm. and they got Cage. Um, It's definitely like people who are like, oh, okay, let's like we're excited that we've got cage that it's it's better than average it's better than the average of those movies that that we've seen still i don't think that there's like i think that there's like some uh like like i said the the peak of this movie to me i think is like that i kind of wish that it was like oh if i'd seen that uh shootout surrounding the car and like the two police officers and the person that they have captive like that's a good little short film Mm -hmm. everything else to me is is like kind of forgettable and boring like i can't really shake uh the criticism that we we had of like uh if if i had known someone who made this movie and i went and i attended it and they were uh involved in like the editing or the writing or the directing i would have been like that's so cool this is like a strong first foot out there for Mm -hmm. like a feature film like it's i'm really really impressed i don't know anyone involved in it (laughs) and without (laughs) without that like personal attachment and, and also like I don't want to be thinking about how like oh this is like a good student film when I'm watching like an yeah. actual movie like that's you want not to be completely taken great, away yeah yeah that's not a a great place to leave an audience member after they spend time with your film um, so 
I think uh, despite this movie having some some stronger than average elements, I still have to give it a bad, bad. So unfortunately, like, because I think there are moments and scenes that are so strong, like, without caveat, like, there are some strong scenes in the movie. And, but I can't, <laughs> like, I can't shake, like, as you say, the... Um, like the perspective of being like, oh my God, that's really good. Like I'm like really yeah. impressed by somebody, but it's <laughs> like, like your kindergartner is showing you like a, a spelling <laughs> test that they did. Yeah. Like that's an extreme example, but like <clears throat> maybe because like Nick Cage movies, I feel like might have like a um, kind of a bar that's really low, but like the, even when it's good, I'm like, oh my God, I'm surprised. That's so good. If that's just not, right like that's not right Mm -hmm. and like even though this movie has parts and aspects and and like scenes that i think are much better and much more well done than many movies that i have given a good bad to based off of what i value in movies and storytelling and the way this movie was made um it's a movie is not just the parts it's the sum of its parts and i have to unfortunately give it a bad bad as well yeah uh i saw it coming um but, you know, hey, that's interesting. This is sort of a different breed of bad, bad that we've gotten before. Um, it's true. It's like a good bad, bad. <laughs> yeah. So now that we've both given it, uh, slapped it with a bad, bad, uh, we're moving into a little segment that we call Cage Match. Uh, ding, ding. This is my favorite. Ding, ding. My favorite segment. All right. Cage Match. So currently, uh, we, we have a, a Cage Match is a segment where we establish where this film falls into the pantheon of the films that we've reviewed uh, so far on Contemporary Cage. Our current list uh, from uh, best to worst is Mandy, Joe, Bad Lieutenant, Col- Port of Call, New Orleans, Dog Eat Dog, National Treasure, Stolen Outcast, Ghost Rider, Primal, Pay the Ghost, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and at the bottom of the barrel, Knowing. Uh, <laughs> it will remain for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yes, we refer to that as our bedrock film. That movie <laughs> fucking sucks, dude. I hate yeah. that movie. <laughs> so so bad <clears throat> but it gave us the leaves the leaves the leaf bit <laughs> for those of us who are just joining us in season two there was a dedicated uh, leaf artist working on that film whose job was just to carry around a garbage bag full of autumn and leaves showed and throw up. them in front of the lens <laughs> and and um dad's making his world famous hot dogs or whatever the fuck <laughs> okay i'm sorry we're getting inside baseball here <clears throat> a lovely film, a sci- Scientology propaganda film. <laughs> Wonderful. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> that, it seems like Cage made unknowingly, like unknowingly of its Scientology Ironic. Ties. Ironic. Yes. Mm-hmm. For the title. Um, okay. It, it, is there a spot? This is I tough. Think, I, I kind of need to hear him slower again because, first of all, okay. those first three are so good. Go watch those first three yeah. movies, guys. Like Those are Mandy, great. Joe, Bad Lieutenant, all fucking whip ass dude they're so good yeah they're really really good the cage man in those for sure so it's definitely below there um after that is dog eat dog then national treasure then stolen okay so i think we're getting in this i don't think it's gonna be much lower than outcast i I agree with you i 100 percent agree with you so i think that i think that it could go 
I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to like remember the pros of Stolen because I think I'm very comfortable putting it above Outcast. Yeah, it's honestly should be very close to Outcast because it's kind of that similar situation where it's like a movie is the sum of its parts, not just yes. the cool parts. And that's a very uh-huh. Outcast thing. Also very similar to Outcast, Nick's sort of present in the beginning, goes away for quite yep. some time, and then comes back towards the end. That's true. Um, Stolen. Stolen is the one set in New Orleans. His daughter's taken. Uh, it was The working title was Medallion because there's some uh, oh, that's right. taxi drivers have medallions. Um, and Honestly, that's a big part of it. We need to rewatch Stolen. Oh, no. What? <laughs> we can't rewatch. I can't do that. I know, I know. That's too uh it's too like disheartening to go back. Um but yeah, stolen really has and then, not stuck with me. And then National Treasures like in between those? Uh National Treasures above stolen. So it's National Treasures stolen outcast. Okay, so it's under National Treasure for sure. Mhm. And yeah. I guess above outcast. So is it better or worse than Stolen? I think it's worse than Stolen. Stolen kind of moves, and there's some fun stuff. It's definitely, there's, like, more money on the screen in Stolen, It seems really like matters to me. Stolen um, is kind of the movie these filmmakers would make in the future as they make more movies, almost. Yeah. Yeah. How sure. is it so fucking high? Because every all these movies fucking suck <laughs> shit, dude. <laughs> so what have bad. we been doing with our lives? Um, I above I don't Outcast, think, under Stolen. That's where I'm feeling. I'm looking at some. Uh, <laughs> I'm Google image searching Stolen, and some of these stills are are landing pretty well. With I me. know the the poster is so bad. Yeah. Well, stolen too. Stolen gets. You know what stolen has? It has the um, it has the cage X factor where if you just want to like drink and watch a fun crazy cage movie, you're gonna get what you need. Like a lot of people who watched Primal were expecting something like stolen and didn't have a good time. Um, Mm -hmm. Stolen is kind of like somewhat mediocre in some ways, but you get to just have fun watching Cage. Um, For sure. Where's Ghost Rider in all this? Ghost Rider is, uh, I think, below Outcast. Is that right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Outcast. Yeah, that was probably mostly me because I fucking hated um, Outcast. But I, I, I think that's a good spot. Under Stolen, above Outcast. Somehow very, very high. Um, but it's strange that it's a bad, bad. But I don't know. Movies are subjective if you disagree. Yeah. You know. Being a good, bad, or a bad, bad uh, doesn't necessarily ensure you a high spot. That's right on the rating uh so kill chain going in between stolen and outcast okay we got it we got it locked in um next up we got a little segment we got to check in with our man this is cage news um number one derek i've been waiting i've almost texted you you might have seen this okay National Treasure? Uh, Hollywood News reports National Treasure 3 in the writing stage of development. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer produced both, or he he produced uh, National Treasure, uh, the series. Um, 
And uh, right now, there's no mention as to whether Nicolas Cage, who headlined the first two movies, is involved. But obviously, we're we're hoping so. Um, and uh, the National Treasure movies have made uh, $788 million around the world total. Pretty good. If Nicolas Cage is not involved in National Treasure 3, yeah, I'm walking. Fuck? I'm protesting yeah. to Hollywood. Um, but yeah, it's cooking. I'm this a- is big for us like unironically i will go see because like oh yeah i liked like the set pieces of national treasure 2 and it would it's interesting like some of the worst parts of that movie is how badly it it aged and like how date Mm -hmm. how much it dates itself so watching a modern like 2021 or whatever national treasure movie like where does that go and i couldn't agree more be fun for sure could not agree more we're really excited about that um good things on the horizon we're so yeah i'm i'm ecstatic it's a good time to be a cage fan my man it really is yeah uh next up i did send you a picture of this um kesha (laughs) famous pop star kesha uh met nicholas cage at uh the premiere of his movie uh color out of space Mm -hmm. and which is uh something we're both interested in we want to go see tentatively um it's the uh i want to say l ron hubbard it's not an hp lovecraft hp lovecraft oh my god the same guy (laughs) (laughs) uh hv lovecraft uh, movie uh and she said she uh posted on instagram and said meet your idols sometimes they're the shit with a lot of hearts nice really sweet nick's wearing great clothes again i don't know if he's in like a leather jacket with red lining and then a uh, like a leopard collar and tons of like little uh, studs all over it. Very cool. And then such Kesha an looks act- great. Such an actor because it's like say what you will. His wardrobe is is noticeable. You know he's he makes an impression. Yeah. Oh, really nice moment. Uh, there's a video of them hugging on the red carpet. Uh, a nice sweet embrace. Uh, do I sense couple rumors, Derek? Do you ship uh, Kesha and Nicolas Cage? I would love to see that. It would be really cool. I don't know if he'll ever date another actor again. But he's an actor. That's all they do. (laughs) Well, but not anymore. I think the last handful of people that he's dated are... uh, are A humble baker. Civilians, yeah. I don't know. Is there there a place... uh, cage pod heads can go to like see these things do we have any sort of landing page or anything is, it, is there a twitter we have a twitter we have a okay. uh, cage at cage pod if you search contemporary cage on twitter uh it will pop up i don't know if we'll be sharing this photo <laughs> it's um, a little personal <laughs> a little personal um but i've thought about having uh, an instagram or something like that where we yeah. could post clips of movies and stuff um i loved the little videos we'll you used to do of me playing uh i know that was, that so was fun. fun um yeah but what are you gonna yeah do? we're not in the same location anymore it makes it a little harder to have that video component cage pod via uh, satellite and we've got one last 
uh, thing. This uh, we usually don't get political on the show, but we oh, do no. have to get. Don't put me in today. in a in an uncomfortable position, Dave. <laughs> we don't have to comment on this, but <laughs> we do have to report what's happening here. Okay. Uh, Nicholas Cage, and this is actually kind of an old story. I don't know how this flew under the radar for so long. Nicholas Cage has endorsed Andrew Yang for <laughs> president. He did. Uh, primary. Yeah, I know that uh, Nick is a Democrat. Um, he's d- made some significant donations in the past. Donated uh, $1,000 to... Uh, Andrew Yang, so Nick Cage is Yang Gang, which I feel like, if anyone's familiar, if anyone out there is uh, Yang Gang, they they like memes and stuff. So I imagine that they are really happy to get Cage in their corner. Cage on their side. He helps memes. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, he he donated a thousand dollars, and he hasn't like come out and said something, but uh, a reporter confirmed with his manager that cajun does indeed support gang um you know i don't think i've seen much nick cage memes lately you know i feel like that's i mean a if little you out of style. go if you go to well there's a reddit i don't belong to it i don't go there uh <laughs> dark i actually don't want to bad mouth it because maybe we should share our show there um, and, and if you're joining us from, I think it's called the one true God and it's like a fan, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fan <laughs> subreddit for, uh, for Nicholas Cage. Okay. Well, um, welcome. Yeah. Welcome to them, to all the Yang gang yeah, members. Yang supporters there. and the Reddit oh, and the boy. dark annals of the internet. Anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> that'll do it for contemporary <laughs> cage. Uh, we are going to watch a movie. This, now our next movie that we yeah, will watch. What's the next movie? We are going to watch. Uh, let's watch the Frozen Ground, based on a true story. An Alaskan state trooper, Nicholas Cage, must partner with a near victim and the only witness to escape the clutches of a serial killer in order to bring the murderer to justice. Interesting. That. I, I don't think I've ever read something and just not retained it as much as well, that. Well, when, is... when you use terms like a near victim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so for the Frozen Ground, if you want to watch along, it's streaming free on Amazon Prime if oh, you have thank that. Thank you for that. Um, yes. Uh, this is a movie that stars Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, and Vanessa Hudgens. Hey, John. Okay. All right. Some people, some names. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, Good app. Kind of a long you, one. Kind of a long one. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Mm-hmm. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. See you later, Cage Nation. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I just kept interrupting.